0: The Sunday Morning Linux Review, with Mary Tomich,
1: Tom Lawrence, and Tony
0: Bemis as the Beaver. And this is episode 291. Uh, We don't have a name? Here we do. 30 million users. 30, ah. And this is Tony Bemis. Jay LaCroix. Phil Parada. And Tom Lawrence. And so, Tom, 30 million. Is that, like, instead of 50 million?
2: It's instead of 90 million. Uh-huh. If that makes anyone feel better. We're, we're going to have a little discussion later about the Facebook hack. And I think the size and scope of things, like, well, it's only 30 million users. And we can say that now. As the Internet has grown, <laughs> uh, hacks become downgraded when it's only that. And I wonder if that was a PR stunt. Like, they probably knew from the beginning 30 million users were affected. And they started at 90. So you feel better. <laughs> See? <Yeah. laughs> it's, a, it's a negotiation and PR tactic. <laughs> Anyways, so Tony, Ohio Linux Fest. Ohio Linux Fest. It
0: was fun. It was uh, it was nice getting to see everybody. Um, it was uh, as for like the podcaster group. It was a little bit lighter on um, on attendance. Um, no thanks to you guys. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's our fault. Couldn't uh, make it.
0: And um, the you know it's but it was fun. You know, got to see some neat things. And uh, one of the talks uh, was the. You know the back end of running a, a, a PIC, pixie boot server so that was we were just talking about that before the show is how to run that and uh, there was a social engineering talk um, those are always good one talk that I missed I really wish I could have watched was uh, one on Arista networks and it's a it's a brand name they they build networking equipment but they run the Linux kernel so it's it's a full it's a you know full-blown Linux running Sw- uh,
2: switches and routers. and So it's pretty cool. Okay. Is it based on BIOS? Or do you, did they say they have their own flavor?
0: I didn't get deep into it. I didn't get to see their talk. Ah, okay. So, but uh, I do know. I think they have their own flavor and because uh, I was reading a little bit on their website uh, uh, about how they did it, and it's neat.
2: Yeah, uh, for those of you that don't know, VYOS is a popular distro that's it's all command line driven, uh, but it's for switches uh, and routing and things like that, but it gives you, if you can actually just go buy a bunch of uh, network cards and stick them in a computer, you can build your own switch with all kinds of cool features, whatever features you want, as long as you can figure it out, because it's really complicated. <laughs> 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 right. There's a reason we like interfaces on top of it.
0: <laughs> all right, so that's, uh, that's pretty much what I did the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and then you guys uh, I'm sure everybody heard the last couple of shows that's what I kind of put together yeah I want to apologize for the pre-interview with the Ohio Linux thing um, that my audio was really bad I don't know if you guys got to listen to it but it was really bad so I
2: want yeah. to apologize for that it was a little bad we, we still love you Tony <laughs> <laughs> thanks uh,
0: alright so Jay what, uh, what have you been up to so,
3: unfortunately, not Ohio Linux Fest because I was preempted by work. Uh, apparently, there was a Friday deploy I had to get on, so mm-hmm. I wasn't able to uh, to do that. So, other than sulking about the fact that I couldn't attend Ohio Linux Fest this year yet again, uh, I have been working on a new YouTube series, which um, it's kind of funny. I don't even have a name for it yet. Uh, I have eight <laughs> videos in, and I don't even have a name. But I did. I finished the Ubuntu Essential series. Um, a while back, and everybody's asking for more advanced videos. And that's basically what this is, is Ubuntu um, Server Essentials is just the basics, and this one is kind of like, okay, this is the more advanced stuff, but what I wanted to do was uh, do something practical, hands-on, to make it more fun, so I'm having the um, the viewers like set up NextCloud as a part of it, like actually doing something they can take with them and keep and continue to use. Then it's like, okay, well, how do you secure that? Because now you got something facing the Internet, so it's going to be a fun series that I that I'm doing. Um, I'll tell you the name of it once I have one. But then my son and I are working on a brand new YouTube channel that I thought would would be kind of fun. Um, I don't know if it's of any value to the listeners unless they're into gaming. But basically, what I'm doing is I'm playing I'm I'm presenting a game that I played as a child myself to get his reaction to that in 2018. And we are four episodes in. We should be uploading the first one this evening. So th- it's called Cross-Generation Gaming. And um, by the time you guys hear this, it'll, uh, it'll be uploaded because it's going to happen this afternoon on recording oh, day. Awesome. Nice. So that's, that's fun. Uh, so other than that, that's, and I set up a new Proxmox server I gave up on OpenStack for now. So <laughs> maybe someday. You've <laughs> saved yourself. Yeah, (laughs) I got very far in my defense. I I had it working. The networking was was the only thing, only problem I had with it. But that alone was enough to put me over the edge. So Proxmox, yay! (laughs) That's all for me. Uh,
4: I I've been doing a home audio overhaul. I've been playing with some Raspberry Pi three B pluses. I've got uh, I've got one in the garage running a HiFiBerry amp. Uh, so that's connected to some speakers, and it runs Volumio, which is a Linux distribution. Uh, it's a Linux distribution for the Pi, specifically for like audio files and that kind of stuff. Nice. Um, it's got a really nice web interface, and everybody uh, that's on your specific network can add uh, songs from Spotify or local storage or network storage just into a music queue, and everybody gets to add their own songs during a party. So that's fun. Um, I
3: need this in my life, actually. I need this. I really need this.
4: It's Volumio, and it's V-O-L-U-M-I-O dot org. Um, was pretty neat. Yeah, uh, the one in the garage is really for the cats, let's be honest. Uh, (laughs) I I lay in bed at night and say, okay, the volume's at 30. Let's turn it down to 20. They probably want to sleep, too. Um, (laughs) So then I've got another one in the house that runs... A, that's also running on a Pi 3 and running Volumio. Um, but instead of an amp, it's got a DAC, a digital to analog converter. Mm. And that feeds into um, my amplifier. So I can have a turntable and uh, a Raspberry Pi for when I don't feel like flipping
2: the records. And that's that's been working really, really nice. Cool. Wow. So something funny popped in my head here. Um, someone built it. We covered it. Almost three years ago, in the show notes, I can probably dig it up for you. An open source farming system, and you okay. have a farm, yeah, and you have boxes. And what it does is, it's a uh, traversal system that bounces over the boxes that plants everything for you. So, and it was controlled by a Raspberry Pi. So, I can picture next spring having an automated planter. I'm this-
4: going to need. I'm going to build this. This
2: sounds fantastic. Wow. Yeah, As, it's kind of cool because it precisionally plants everything and then can watch the plants. It's really kind of cool. And it made me think of it because I'm like, oh, yeah, Bill's got a farm. <laughs> <laughs> He's got Wi-Fi on the farm so he can control these things now.
4: So I've set up some new SSIDs <laughs> um, for the, the Chromecasts and the, Volu- the Volumio uh, Pis. Um, I wanted to VLAN those off to make sure that they can't talk internally to the network, but I can get to them. So um, for these, these random one-off VLANs, I've started calling them garden beds. Ah. Uh, that's the SSID. Nice. <laughs> nice. I like it. Uh, my, I, I can hear my wife's eyes rolling like, <laughs> like three towns over right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: so uh, one exciting thing, and we'll piggyback off the Wi-Fi stuff. There is a project called Codename Air Rectangle, and uh, it's behind you. Don't say the name of the box on the floor because our our NDA will be lifted soon. That is a 10 gigabit Wi-Fi air rectangle because it's rectangular in shape, so... It's a pretty nice-looking rectangle, if it's I do everything. say myself.
3: That looks yeah. like something I need in my life as
2: well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've been testing it for a few months, and uh, they're sending us the non-demo model, which uh, the production one, to, uh, for a review. I, I, I don't know when the general availability is are supposed to tell me, but I know it's really soon. It may be released already. I didn't read the details. I'm just excited when they said they're sending it. We just accelerated because now we're going to have two air rectangles. <laughs>
1: right. I guess we get right. to keep the demo
2: one. I don't know. No one said anything about sending it back. So um, that's going to be fun. That's a 5 gigahertz uh, beaming. Up to 1,500 users with 10 gigabit dual links on it. Yeah, so it can not only beam to that many users and support AC 16, seventeen, thirty-three. So you're, you actually can get faster than gigabit Wi-Fi speeds out of it. And yes, we've tested it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Oh wow. So that's that's been we've been playing with a lot of Wi-Fi stuff. So that's been a lot of the projects we had. Uh, the other project we've been doing is overhauling our network a little bit here. Uh, we've just been so busy that we needed to put more stuff in. Uh, We've exceeded the ability of our free NAS. So we've had to uh, look at it. We're going to build a whole second redundant free NAS. It's actually going to become our primary. Um, It's just between producing videos and everything else and... Uh, managing client data for our retail store, no one comes in with a little bit of data. They come in with like terabytes at a time, so we're trying to manage all that, plus dealing with when we do server switchovers and everything else. so that's gonna be some fun projects, which I'm excited. I like excuses to buy hardware. I don't like buy <laughs> i'm I'm too cheap to buy it unless there's a justification eighty eighty six percent capacity uh, on the freelance justification like oh, how many terabytes am I gonna purchase next?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah, so we're gonna buy a bunch of uh hard drives for it. That's going to be interesting because I started pricing them. I don't understand this. Uh, You can buy USB hard drives for cheaper still. I started reading this on uh, Reddit Home Lab. Like, you can buy piles of them for $149 in USBs, and you shuck them, and they're regular, most of the time, they're 8-terabyte red drives in them. They just don't come with the same warranty when you buy them in the USB. They come with a 1 instead (coughs) of 3-year. So we're going to be buying USB drives because they're $100 less per hard drive. So... It's going to be interesting. So mm. we're going to do a whole video about you know, where we bought them, how we shucked them, and <laughs> built, <laughs> built our redundant storage server with a bunch of USB hard drives that are actually SATAs when we're all done plugged into a JBOD. So that's been um, most of my projects, just I, revolving around that.
0: I was looking at the same thing. There's USB external 8-terabyte uh, mm-hmm. ge- drives. I was looking at the exact same thing. And the 8 terabytes were like $120 yep. in the USB enclosure externally and maybe it was a different model because they don't actually give you the model what's inside yeah. the external it was like 180 i know for the
2: same you know eight terabyte sata mm. drive and when you got to buy uh, six drives that's six times 80 the only thing different is the warranty which i don't care about much i mean if it got kind of, yeah. they i'm less worried about that when i'm saving that kind of money i can just have a hot spare and not worry about warranties because mm-hmm. hot spares are better than warranties kind of need it now. Agree. I don't wait for my rate array to be degraded for oh, I'll wait for the 30 days from the mail it out mail it back. I need the drive now. so yeah, I'll be talking about that project. We we'll have a we'll have a hard drive shucking party. <laughs> 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 oh by the way, if you click on them, frequently bought together I, I sort of just came up, right? Band-Aids. <laughs> I, oh no. <laughs> I'm like, Amazon knows. Other people have purchased this. That is so amazing. Wow. The AI systems are smart. They know. We will we will injure ourselves with tools. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: My first PC build ever, I cut my finger really
2: bad. Somebody told me those slot covers on the back that you had to had to pry off. Oh yeah. They get those are sharp. Mm-hmm. I've I been mean, building PCs since before rolled edges were a thing, so <laughs> <Same> <laughs> it was dangerous. <laughs> All right. All right. They,
0: we're heading on to listener feedback. We want to hear from you. Call 734-258-7009 or email show at smlr.us with your feedback and questions. All right. So Feedback um feedback did you guys see any emails recently
2: i actually didn't because that last one was someone who i think is a spammer you were nice to him because i was going to say something really not nice after a second question <laughs> I, I get those a lot
0: to other email addresses too from that spammer guy uh, yeah um i think she seemed like a legitimate person trying to email and spam us it so does, that's why i re- replied yeah yeah uh, now I can't remember what they were trying to do. What they, they just wanted,
2: wanted us to guest blog post for um, a VPN. Oh, I, yeah. But in, we're a podcast. We're not well, a blog. Yeah, exactly. They blanket it out to everyone because I get it all the time. So if you have anything that even appears to be a blog, they just grab email, scrape email addresses and send it. Out. I know because I get so many v- v- variations of the same email.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got one email. He sent it to me. Uh, so we have a listener, uh, Gordon, and he actually went to Ohio Linux Fest. Oh, cool! And, uh, so I got to hang out with him a lot that uh, weekend, and he sent me an email, uh, and it's actually a picture of a ThinkPad, and where the web, um, the webcam is, they actually have the built-in slider for the webcam now.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
3: Well, is, this is an uh, older ThinkPad T series or a different? Do we know what models?
0: Uh, I don't know the models he didn't include that he just showed the picture and it looked pretty cool it was just you know up close that. It's, wow.
2: it's neat the downside is uh the microphone to me is the if you're going to egress data microphone would be more valuable than looking at me yeah so you can't disable the microphone on them that's the
3: mm-hmm. yeah I often sometimes wonder how often used is the built-in microphone in the average laptop. I'd have to imagine most people that want to record something, they plug in a USB microphone anyway. But I suppose if you're using
2: Skype and you you don't have one with you, that could be a use Um, case. But but it's popular for uh, government agencies frequently use it uh, uh, when they're doing targeted attacks. I like putting tape over my (laughs) webcams. Yeah. 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 Yeah, as much as I agree with the tape, it's the like I said, my in, it's well known uh, egress when they do the targeting. Uh, they've talked about it. Snowden talked about it. it. That's why he had everyone put their phone in a ice container and suck it in a fridge. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, that is the popular method by which they do it.
0: Hmm. That makes sense.
2: Um, they can turn on. Uh, this was a big debate about Apple. Uh, Apple has allowed for a long time government agencies to turn on the microphone on the phones. It's been part of their policy. Mm. Oh, boy. Still to this day? Yeah. Wow. And mm. they use it. Oh, boy. Wow. Because they just want to listen.
4: But they care more about your privacy than uh, Google does. So <laughs> there is that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, we sure. go. We should probably do a debrief on that sometime of all the reasons you shouldn't use Apple because among the other things they've had is Apple holds a patent on uh, zoned disabling of cameras and phones. To make it so you can't record maybe a political event happening that you everyone pulls their phone out, they have a methodology by which they can turn it off in a specific area. There was a whole article about that. It was really, It's yeah, in there. I, Apple says the they've never used it.
4: So what are our options then as a society wanting um, phones protected from this? Do we have to go as far as making our own hardware Yes. and the silicon underneath? Yes. Yeah, I
3: think so. I, I it's been a very um, it's been a source of contention for me because I I mean between Apple and Android it's usually one or the other for most people and I've been an Android user for I think since 2008. I've yeah. had probably over a dozen phones and to be honest I, maybe I just have really bad luck. But there's always some issues that I've had with them and I've had uh, some frustration. I'm on iPhone now. Unfortunately, I don't you know exactly like it, but I have had better experience overall. But I don't like a lot of the things I, I hear about the platform google has issues with android you know obviously they google's an ad- advertising company and apple has their issues too so it doesn't seem like there's a really
2: great solution there's probably not um and i bet we could do an entire fresh looks just on this topic because anyone who's been to a stallman talk and watched him answer the cell phone yes, question always cracks yes. me up
3: we were both there in person <laughs>
2: yeah that live yeah. So, when he does that, or when someone asks him how he uses a phone, for you don't know, he always says, "Can I see your phone?" He shows and he says, "See, someone give me a phone." <laughs> I love when he does that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think he. Yeah, I didn't do that that day, but yeah, no, he's great. done that a couple yeah. times. How do you get around without a phone? He's like, "Let me see your phone." He grabs someone random out of the audience. The answer him goes, "See, anyone will just give me a phone," <laughs> 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 and he hands it back to him. <laughs> And if you take his picture, he'll pause, he'll put his hand up and say, is uh, satellite and geolocation tagging turned off? If you say yes, he'll let you take the picture. (laughs) I'm a witness. I have his picture. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, before we get too far off top, we don't have a lot of listener feedback, but I think that's probably something, let us know, listeners, this is a feedback time, let us know um, what are some of the questions and concerns, because I think this might make a fun episode, because as open source guys and privacy advocates all around this table here, just the whole discussion of what we do like and what we don't like and some of the things that worry us, or maybe perspectives that the general public doesn't think about or other people may not be thinking about, we have a love-hate with these things.
3: That's ex-
4: mm-hmm. That's
2: exactly how I feel,
3: yeah.
4: I had a message from uh, Philip C. Um, This one was specifically to me uh, just from an old thread um, from months ago. Um, We talked about uh, troubleshooting SE Linux, and there's a tool that I like to use called se-troubleshoot-server. So on a Red Hat Enterprise Linux machine or CentOS, um, you can install se-troubleshoot-server, and then it will give you a recommendation of the SE Linux fix that you should implement. Um, and
3: that's really, really helpful. Right? I think um, that's really great because too many people just go disable, are quick it, to oh, disable please it. don't
4: disable it. it, it. It's not yeah. it's okay. I agree. It's not hard to learn. Yes, there's a learning curve. But you had to
3: learn how to use a shell anyways. From my standpoint I've always found like there's not as much documentation, or at least as of when I was looking for it as there are with other things. But it does make me a little nauseous that almost every how-to article for CentOS, Fedora, Red Hat begin with, first, start by disabling SE Linux. But at least they could inform the reader what it is they're actually doing, but they frame it like this is something everybody should disable without actually educating the user what they're actually doing when they do this. And I think that's a big problem. So, again, uh,
4: that helpful tool is se-troubleshoot-server. And then we talked about um, CertBot and renewing uh, Let's Encrypt certificates. Um, And if anybody's having a problem with that, uh, we do have the staging server um, that has far less restrictive rate limits. So check that out just in case you're having a CertBot or Let's Encrypt problem in general.
3: And I am, so I will check that out.
0: All right. Uh, I you know I see a couple comments on the website. Oh. Um, one from episode 280. I don't. It's been so long. I don't even know what we talked about on that episode. <laughs> but he says uh, he was looking for the link for the guy at the beginning. Patrick was or Patrick something was the link removed? I don't I don't know. If, do you remember anything about the episode? Was called vintage wine. I have wow. no clue what we talked about. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, I guess I it. Hmm. we don't remove... I put a lot of links in, so uh, that reach out to us at show at smlr.us and also don't call the number. Did we change the... Oh, I don't know. Oh, we'll throw that out there because <laughs> I think we're selling <laughs> back. feedback. Um, don't call the number. I don't know who it belongs to now. Um, but yeah, email show and uh, give us the specific line you're looking for. That way we, uh, don't take it the wrong way, but we don't really want to listen to our old episodes again. <laughs> Not in its entirety, but I'm more than happy if you tell me exactly what it was. It'll jog my memory because I generally keep weird records in my head of all those things, like farming links from two years ago that I'll dig up. Rainman man with the links over here. Yeah. <laughs> <You're right. laughs>
0: and then one more from John D. He says that uh, he uses a Mac and he's trying to listen, but the MP3s aren't uh, downloading anymore. So I'm not sure what could be there. Um, the RSS feed, and he says actually he's, he doesn't know what RSS means, um, but it should still work fine in your in your iTunes if you're listening from there, um, so it should be all right. But if not, then give us another email about how you have it set up, uh, and actually email set
2: at show at smlr.us. Yeah, and we'll try and get you downloading them again. They should work. Um, so let us know what more details about it, so we can more than happy to help you. Yeah. Hopefully I can... How is he going to hear this? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. Details. You can I, play it embedded in the uh, browser until... So That's what I do.
4: If possible, I know you can install VLC on a Mac. Um, I, it's one of my first installs when I get a Mac.
3: It's so different on the Mac. I don't even know why. Maybe I just haven't used VLC in a while, but it, the Linux and Mac versions to me seem so different. It's interesting. Like The interface is completely
0: different. But it does work just fine for, you know, obviously all the same use cases. Yeah. So I'm I'm actually going to reply to his comment on the website, and then uh, hopefully he'll email us.
4: Thanks, Tony. Uh, I read a book uh, over the weekend, uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and I thought it was was pretty good from a repairing your device's perspective. Um, Uh, I really appreciated that. So, talking to uh, my better, better half, um, we came up with a blog name: Zen in the Art of uh, Lawnmower Maintenance. But <laughs> Zen for Zen Server. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that like running virtual lawnmowers? That, <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> wow, I'm confused.
0: <laughs> my head's spinning. All right, all right. Wow. Uh, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Distro Fever. Distro
2: Fever, where we cover the latest hot distro releases and news.
0: So, the first one I see from 1018 is OpenBSD 6.4. Ooh. Ooh. So, I thought maybe that'd be great to have a new song, you know, OpenBSD song, but they haven't had one since
2: 6.1. Ah, budgets must have been cut. Yeah.
0: Ah oh, such is life. And then <laughs> and then there's the plethora of Ubuntu's 18.10. Uh, Ubuntu.
3: Yeah. 18.10. I also see um Pop OS 18.10 is out. I didn't even know. It's it's right here on the I uh, just by looking at this live on the on the show, I see that it's listed and um I know what I'm going to download later. I'm going to check that out,
2: but Why am I not being prompted?
3: Um I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if they wait a few days or using Pop OS as Yeah, well, I right? I yeah, I am I okay. am I've not been prompted for it either. So I was actually thinking that's exactly what would have happened,
0: but it, it hasn't as of yet. So um well, maybe
3: if I run an apt
0: get update release real, on real quick. Distro watch was yesterday, ten twenty. Uh so maybe if they did it late in the afternoon or something then I'm, I'm
3: just doing, like, an apt uh, update to We're download merged. the We're We'll repos. spend our Sunday yeah.
0: updating our OSs. I mean, <laughs> so I'm going to yeah.
3: update <laughs> to this later on. There, there, There is a bug. I don't know how they addressed it with 1810 with Steam controllers and Steam. So oh. for anyone that's um, a gamer on Linux will need to know this. There's a article on um, gaming on Linux that tells you how to deal with this because the issue is that Linux kernel 4.18 includes built-in support for the Steam controller. So as as far as I understand, I don't think you need the actual package to give you that support anymore. Um, But the way that gaming on Linux seems to have you do it is blacklist the built-in kernel version of it and still use the actual package. But if you don't blacklist it, um, you'll, you'll have issues with the Steam controller. I'm not sure if that solves issues with Steam yet. It's still early days. It's been less than a week since 18.10 is out, and I'm sure it'll be fixed soon. Uh, I guess it just illustrates why you may not always want to upgrade the first week that something comes out, but uh, they have a write-up on how to fix this issue, so um, for those of you out there that are gamers, you might want to check out that article. But um, speaking about 1810, has anyone had a chance to check it out? Yeah, just out of curiosity.
2: I haven't. I
4: ran it in a container and installed some stuff just to make sure that it worked uh, how I expected. That's about it. Haven't haven't seen what they've done with the... uh, GUI though.
3: Yeah, so I have. I've I've had a chance to check it out. And and the two distros, I'm a little bit um, biased because my favorite um, actual Ubuntu based distro is is Ubuntu Mate because I just love the polish that they put into this. Uh, And I'll talk about that in a minute. But then I started with the main version and I've only used it for a couple of days. So I can't really speak intelligently on if this is a good upgrade or not because I usually like to at least wait a week of use at minimum. But a couple of the thoughts that I've had so far is that I just kind of think that this is a release that doesn't really offer much to the average person. And and what I mean by that is it upgrades to kernel 418. That that kernel has some great improvements, KVM improvements. um, There's, I think, battery life improvements. There's some really seriously great things about it. But that kernel is also going to be backported to 1804. You have to wait, I think it's sometime between now and February, when uh, 1804.2 comes out. You'll automatically get that kernel, so you'll automatically benefit from those uh, new kernel features without having to go to 1810. So what's left? What, what else is there? And, and I look at it from the standpoint that gnome has had some serious tweaking for performance. So if you have an older computer, then that's a great benefit because maybe it'll it'll act a lot faster because the animations are smoother, uh, performance is better, memory usage uh, there's been there's memory leaks and they fix that so it runs very, very well, that will not be ported to 1804. You will not get the new GNOME. So if you want the new GNOME, you do have to go to 1810. So that might be the determining factor for a lot of people. But if you're running a fast computer like me, I have i7s and i5s that are relatively recent. I really don't know if you'll notice that much of an improvement. I think it'll be more so for the people that have older hardware. But moving on from that, we have Ubuntu Mate, which has a newer point release of Mate in it that has um, a lot of fixes, but they are backporting MATE of that version to 1804. So in my mind, it's almost like with Ubuntu MATE, maybe there's not a good reason to upgrade since it seems to me like at least the majority of the changes you'll get it in 1804 anyway. So then it's like, well, why upgrade to 1810? There's some improvements, but not, I mean, not enough for me to recommend people to get off of an LTS, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. And this is just a reminder,
4: for those of you uh, who are running very old versions of Ubuntu, like let's say uh, 14.04, there's no clean upgrade path. Um, so it, it's, it's a pain to go from 14.04 to 18.04. Let's just say that uh, I spent quite a bit of time the other weekend doing that. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, Wow. So is the issue the fact that the switch from Unity to GNOME doesn't handle clean? You
4: have to change all the repository links um, because they've been deprecated from 14.04 oh, yeah. uh, to 16.04. Um, and it, it's especially compounded if you run like 15.04 or 17.10 or something
2: like that. Um,
4: so what I'm trying to say is keep up on your upgrades. Yeah.
2: yeah. When you Definitely. get far behind, it becomes a project. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. also learned if you try to skip it in Debian, we have issues too. They'll so <laughs> have Tom sort that out. We, uh, yeah,
3: I've witnessed issues with that as well. So I think it's just... Tom waited too long. You make a conscious decision, <laughs> you know, do you want to stay in LTS or do you want to ride the more current ones? And uh, some people prefer to have the newer stacks. And I'm assuming the next Ubuntu release after this will probably have a lot more changes. So the just a thing of the, the release coming. The next release from an LTS, it's pretty much always the case. Yeah, so despite
2: a bunch of not being exciting, still upgrade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah,
3: I noticed that
4: GhostBSD has a release. Um, it's a project developed uh, for a friendly user environment, and it's based now on TrueOS, which is still uh, a BSD under the hood. But what isn't, what's most interesting to me is that they took um, the Ubuntu uh, versioning scheme, so it's Ghost BSD eighteen dot ten.
0: Oh, thought and that was pretty neat. Yeah, it's still an RC, but uh, uh, yeah, when it's release candidate, it's pretty close to being mm-hmm. ready to um, go.
2: You know, didn't make the list here, but FreeNAS is at RC one with their eleven two series now. Yeah, there was a FreeNAS talk at uh, at Ohio
0: Linux Fest, and it was pretty cool. She was talking about how the whole backend.
2: Uh was rewritten and the whole front end was rewritten yes. and I've been reviewing each uh beta and then I just reviewed the release candidate. because um, we have it loaded. It's under under that pile over there. There is a FreeNAS box that is our mm-hmm. demo box we've been running stuff on. I'm really R C one is good. Nice.
4: May, may we never have another problem like the Free
2: Coral Corral version. <laughs> That she yeah, somebody asked about that, she's like, man.
0: "No, this is completely different." They went on. She wouldn't even talk about
2: it. No one will address it. It is yeah. completely a taboo topic. But it didn't happen. No one wants to know how it went from nine to eleven. It just happened. Just deal with it. You know what? It's
0: really cool though. They switched their uh, containering system, you know, to yes. from uh, uh, warden uh, to IO cage. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So with that switch, the whole uh, plugin. Infrastructure is all different too. Oh, yes, it is. What's cool though is she says you can, when you upgrade, you can run them parallel. Yes. So you can still run your old plugins. And then when you go to the new, the new UI will only show the new plugins. The old UI will still show your old plugins. And they'll still run in the back end, like on the jails uh, at the same time. So you don't have to do a, a, um, you know, start all over with the upgrade.
4: That'll give uh, the plugin developers some time to actually make a, a correct upgrade path then. That's yes. pretty neat.
2: Yeah. yeah, it has no problem running them dual, but there are some uh, hate because if you just try to install RC1 right now, a few things are missing. Uh, one of them is the own cloud and NextCloud are both just not in there mm-hmm. anymore. Um, because they just the developers haven't gotten around doing. Last I checked, they were a few versions behind. They,
3: anyways, they're very far behind, and that's why I decided not to run my Nextcloud on uh, on that system. Um, and I'm not really sure why that is, but yeah, it's several versions behind, and that was a concern of me when making the decision on where to run that. Um, I was hoping maybe they'll
0: get that rectified in a newer version, but I guess we'll have to see well, long term. It's a lot of work to keep up with the versioning, and when you're running the plugins and stuff. So what I usually do when something like that is like where I really want to make sure we're on like the cutting edge of the, the stable versions, you know, and always make sure you're updated with security patches, is I actually run a VM, and, which is separate from the plugin infrastructure. And even though I'm running a Ubuntu VM, I don't install it from the Ubuntu repositories either. I install it straight from uh, NextCloud. That way you, you always get the the newest and updates and security patches.
3: And to add insult to injury, the snap package for NextCloud is also behind one one major version right now and actually wow. several point releases. So normally a snap package is a way to keep that separate from your system and keep it updated, but, it, but I installed it uh, actually yesterday, just to just to kind of get this going because I thought about using it, and it's behind. So the only way to really get a new one, I think, is to do it manually. And Canonical wants
4: everybody uh, to start using Snaps because it's the packaging way of the future. But packaging is still a a pain because there's so much software getting updated.
3: And the developers have to actually do it.
4: It's yeah, not going right. to
3: magically upgrade themselves. They have to put the new version out there, and if they don't do that, then it invalidates
2: that. Whole thing. and on a kind of related note i have i did a little bit of a demo on this when i was doing part of the review i showed how you can build things manually in io cage um it's actually kind of a nice way you can do it so you can just grab a generic io cage load it and then add the packages there's a few um, tutorials out there that you just add the different packages you need to run Nextcloud. so you can yeah. still so run an io cage you just run manually build it as opposed to that and it's not hard um so, you still get all the advantages of running it. So, it's lightweight. It's, you know, because it's, it's running in our jail system um, and running with that kernel. So, it has all the features you want and you can manually update it that way.
0: It's a good option.
4: Yeah. Um, th- another option is uh, FreeNAS can run containers. Yes. Um, yeah. So, you could run uh, Nextcloud or OwnCloud um, just in a Docker container if
2: you wanted. It has Which Rancher OS true. support now.
4: Oh, that's really nice. One thing, yes.
3: one thing to keep in mind with running Nextcloud in a container that might be an issue for some people is if you want to enable the online um, document editing feature, that requires the installation of a Docker container. So if Nextcloud itself is a container, yes. and then you put a container inside a container, um, <laughs> you, you have can to mount the socket, and then can it gets get messy. It does, yeah. and you can get it to work, but it's just it's maybe my recommendation. You can
0: get it to work. <laughs> containers inside containers. It's like my we're going to get to the inception point. <laughs>
3: If you're going to run NextCloud in a virtual environment or a container, just just decide up front, are you interested in the online office editing, document editing feature? If you are, run it, run it in a virtual machine. If not, a container is just fine.
2: If not, it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big mess. Yeah. All right, I think we've covered all the latest distro releases, yeah. even ones that aren't on the list. All
0: right, then moving on to tech news. Tech News and Views. So who wants to start today? Well, we do have the episode
3: title,
2: so... Do you want to start with the Facebook hack? All right. So Facebook kind of got hacked, but not in the way that people think. So this security breach was pretty impressive. The debrief on it's been really interesting. So Facebook has the ability called View As... So view as means you can block someone. Let's say I don't want Phil to see what's on my Facebook. I can set privacy settings uh, instead of public to say block these people. And then I have view as another user. That sounds cool. Let's stack that with the fact that you can also view as and see how birthdays might look. Let's stack that with the feature so you can view as and upload videos for people's birthdays. Mm -hmm. Someone found out a methodology. By using view as, which is obviously dangerous because you're building like a special token of that person. Someone figured out by uploading a video somehow to be able to extract the token for the view as and get that token back and then become that person by having their token. So they didn't compromise your login. They compromised the token that lets someone be you. And by leveraging that, it took no time at all to compromise 30,000 accounts. But they're not exactly compromised. They're just simply generating the token of authentication. And they did it through a series. Facebook has a write-up themselves on how the security breach happened. And you can see how they just took a bunch of different pieces together. Someone's really poking away at this. And because view As has been around for so long, this flaw was introduced a long time ago. And there's no way to tell, at Facebook's level, they can't tell the difference between someone viewing as and someone modifying and taking that token and being you. Hence the trouble of even going through logs of, did someone just check a view as? It was only through AI alerting systems that go, everyone seems to be viewing as. I wonder why. That's what Mm -hmm. alerted them to the hack. It seemed to be uh, too many people were doing it to be coincidence. And these are some of the security challenges when you do things at this level of scale. Someone finds a flaw, and no one the details still are not done. The FBI specifically has stepped in and asked Facebook to not disclose any more information and not to name who they know is doing it. So it sounds like my guess is because the FBI is involved and they said not to name them that <laughs> we have a nation state involved in doing this. So this is really interesting. Wow. Uh, it's going to get deeper. We don't know when they're going to be... Uh, closed on this embargo of being able to talk about it in more depth. Could it be a nation state that would initial start with a U and end with an A? Well, that makes me wonder, too. (laughs) So was it us? Was it them? Uh, Was it them, whoever them is? Was it China? Was it Russia? Who knows who did this? It's very interesting. Um, And unfortunately, attribution is really, really difficult. And I'll cite, we talked about the the case of that um, huge, huge botnet that they thought for a long time was China attacking us. It turned out three kids in Alaska started a Minecraft server and uh, found a little flaw that turned into a botnet because they wanted to shut down their competitor's server. And it turned out they turned into a hired botnet, and they arrested them all. They thought it was a nation state because it was the largest botnet in history. Name <laughs> eludes me right now. It's funny that, wow, yeah, literally three kids, all of them under 24 that uh, so it's we actually covered it in a few episodes back yeah so either way um, i'm fascinated with the level of uh work that it took to find the hack it's interesting how the hack occurred and it's really fuzzy right now because facebook's not really detail what they did with that so they can impersonate not only can they read messages but they could be you on facebook so what little nuanced things that they do with 30 million people's accounts that's interesting that's also probably why the fbi investigation isn't uh being as forthcoming (laughs) So that botnet
4: that was called Mirai. Yes, sir. that was back in 2016. I remember that.
3: Mm-hmm. I do too. I never, I didn't know about the uh, connection to Minecraft. That's
4: oh, very that's interesting. a that's a story. So Mirai was big, yeah. and,
0: and you know, there's a lot of news about it as it was happening. But this uh, revelations mm-hmm. of the kids and stuff, I don't think came out for like a year or two after. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's only been six, six months since I heard it.
2: Oh yeah, because so, they 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 finally. Un- covered all the court documents because they Mm -hmm. had plea agreements and everything else who they sold to um they became a botnet for hire but it just started this idea that we're going to shut down they were running minecraft servers for pay and so to get more customers they attacked everybody else's minecraft servers that made them slow and that means people would start using their Minecraft. it sounds so simple and so childish like Mm -hmm. i'll just go break the windows of my competitor and um then they're like you know what this botnet's kind of powerful uh we can actually break like the internet (laughs) yeah so we can shut down things and people will pay us to do it so it turned in one of those that spiral out of control so it's it's an interesting read it's it's kind of crazy because i hated the fact that it was being blamed like, oh it's korea it's north korea doing it it's china doing it this has all the indications every security researcher just screaming it's the government attacking and like no it's three kids in alaska three three children i'm Mm. gonna call them children because they were they were 16 when they started doing this Wow! So, since Microsoft bought Minecraft,
4: Microsoft is responsible for the world's largest botnet. <laughs> yes. Thanks, this Microsoft. Before, or
0: after. I'm trying to remember when did they buy? Oh, it quite a few years ago. a oh. few years ago. I don't
2: think that matters. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Let's not mess up. This was facts. <laughs> Hashtag every news agency. Anyways. <laughs> All right. Microsoft promises to defend, not attack Linux with sixty thousand patents.
4: Wink, wink. Yeah, wink, okay. And,
2: um, surprisingly missing is, and I have a follow-up link right behind this. So, if you didn't know, Microsoft is joining the uh, patent system, and are not going. They're promising the patents they've submitted will not be used in, uh, against Linux. But, you know, I waited to not talk about this because it happened a little while ago as I'm like, "Ah, there's going to be something there. It takes a long time for my legal friends that I have uh, to read through sixty thousand patents, and then the software conservancy. Posted a blog post, and they found missing from there is the XFAT patent that Microsoft's actively pursuing against Linux. And they're like, "Oh, look, you seem to have forgot one, Microsoft." We wonder why. Oh, wait, because active engagement in not allowing Linux to mount XFAT without a proper GPL license. Um, there's a big debate about that. I link to the article on the Software Conservancy and about that because they're pressuring Microsoft. Hey, throw that. You have that patent over here. Just you know, toss it in a pile. Yeah. You know, prove you really care more than just about people running stuff on Azure. Because granted, if you're running on Azure, you'll never use XFAT because you're running Linux on there. But it, us, it affects. I want to be able to easily mount XFAT systems. But, yeah, Microsoft doesn't want us to do that.
3: I'd be interested to see how that plays out long term. Uh, isn't it the case that Microsoft sometimes or has a history of using other companies that they bankroll to do the suing for them yes. when it comes to these patents. So, technically, they could probably say they are not suing um, themselves for quite some time now. if they're having another company do it that they're financing, then would they still do that, or
2: is that, are they promising they're going to stop that too? That's the only thing I, I think I don't know. Microsoft. So there, there's the love hate we have with them. They're the big you know grill in the room. Um, they are doing a lot of good stuff. They do injury a lot of back to open source, but they are a business at heart, and they have a monetization platform called Azure. And so you've got to run the server somewhere, and they're hoping you'll run it on Azure. So by putting it down there. Now, what I really fear is a future where Microsoft says, if you run it on Azure, we won't sue you.
3: That's a good point.
2: And that's mm-hmm. a, you know, those are things, it's not going to be related to these patents. This is a, definitely a, a, a token of goodwill here. But the other side of that, and I'm just seeing how the cloud market may play out, but I thought about this, like AWS and Microsoft and each company could start doing that. We've already seen, uh, we talked about in the last episode, uh, I think it was SUSE Linux making special optimizations in AWS. And you're like, wait a minute, why would you make a special version for AWS? Why? So you can see the advantages. Oh, come over to our platform. You'll never leave because you'll lose 20% of your compute power because our optimizations are special for AWS, so you, you lose oh, wow. portability between mm-hmm. cloud servers. I see that is where the next level of competition may come in. Because right now we, we like the concept of an open platform where I'm like, I'll take my VMs and go to the person who can offer me the best performance for compute dollars. Well, that suddenly goes out the window when companies make tweaks. Something to consider. There's some about. really good points. We'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, that's here. just my... You know, I've been in a business long enough. They always figure out a way to make money, and that may be the next way. So, on a good note, let's get back on to positive topics. Uh, we are excited to announce that the KDE received a donation of three hundred thousand U.S. dollars from the Handshake Foundation. Uh, so, KDE has been uh, putting this in. Uh, I think a hundred thousand of it is for Calibri Office, earmarked for that. So. Um, I kind of like that. And people are going, what's Libri Office? Well, it's a competitor somewhat to OpenOffice and maybe some of the Adobe products. I believe inside of that stack is Krita, is uh, part of that group of Office suite. And I, I really like this idea as I've seen people going, why not give it to LibreOffice? I'm like, we don't want a monoculture. That's why. Yeah, LibreOffice, of great product. Don't get me wrong. I like it a lot. But um, let's donate to other projects so there's competitive because we know what happens if they get kind of complacent they will quit innovating and because there's no push I mean yeah we know Microsoft's their competitor which is a really tough one but uh, we still should see more than one project being funded in the open source market that's my thoughts at least. I agree yeah mm-hmm. absolutely so Phil what was the first system that VIM was written on how's your VIM history oh geez what is this going to be like Uh Turns out it was the Amiga, and then I was, <laughs> The first thing I
4: thought was a Commodore sixty
2: four. That's amazing. You are so close. <laughs> <laughs> You're almost not wrong. Um, anyways, where Vim came from, someone had put together a history of uh, Vim, the people involved, um, and how it beat out other editors. And a lot of it just had to do with uh, Vim was smaller and it fit on a floppy. So. When Linux and stuff came around, it was like, hey, this is easy to add onto the floppy so we can edit config files trying to figure out how to make our mouse work. <laughs> and, um, it, so, yeah, I put a link in here. It's just kind of a fun read. Is I, it Vim specifically or is this a VI? Uh, VI. It's the whole history of it. Okay. And it, the, these people go back far. It's a, it's a long read, but I, I like some of the history of computing. It's kind of uh, really novel to read and some of the stuff on that.
0: It, it's neat. It, two-bit history. That's mm-hmm. neat.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. You know, I was going to check out the site later. I found that link this morning and threw it in there, but I was going to check out. They probably have all kinds of cool history.
4: There was a comment I saw in an article about the Great War, uh, VI versus Emacs, about why a guy um, started using VI in the first place, and it's because when he was in college back in the uh, 80s, um, Emacs was uh, so big that you would get flagged on the network. Um, if you used it. And this this guy uh, wanted to fly under the radar, and he noticed that VI was such a small package, he could stay in his VI session and not get uh, his connection purged when the network administrator said, the network's too
2: slow. Let's remove all Emacs <laughs> connections. Um, hmm. So I thought that was pretty nifty. Hmm. You know, that might be um, a computer history podcast might be kind of fun, too, because there's so much neat history. Did you know the guy who developed the current protocol lives in dearborn michigan i had no idea kermit protocol back in the bbs days Mm. uh the if you watch it's a really long watch but i believe you can find youtube there's the bbs documentaries and they went around interviewing people all over the uh all over that were ever involved in any type of bbs stuff i got to meet the guy at a hacker conference in 2002 and i was there when he was filming it i was actually helping him stuff he asked me if i wanted to be on camera i said no, for reasons I don't remember, other than regret now, because uh, now I'm not part of that. I could say I'm part of something, but I'm not. I got to watch it be filmed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's all kinds of cool uh, history tidbits and things like that. Um, so there's a gray hat fixing mic- microtech Sorry, I got to get the pronunciation right. Mikrotik firewalls. So there's a vulnerability in old versions of microtech firewalls that left them wide open to attack and are being taken over for massive botnets. Shocking, right? Um, So there's someone doing some, I don't know, chaotic good? He's going around and using the vulnerability to close the hole. Nice. (laughs) There's part of me that
4: Agrees completely with mm-hmm. with what this guy's doing.
2: There, there is. There's a part of all of us that go, he's fixing it now. We <laughs> talked about this two years ago with the BrickerBot uh, that was going through.
4: Oh, that that was some fantastic software. Yes. Yeah. Brick um, all
2: of those IoT devices. Yes. When he was tweeting, he called himself the chemotherapy of the internet, <laughs> which made me so happy. Um You know, and he was just going around breaking IoT devices. This person, he's not updating the firmware. Uh, He or she, he is simply closing the firewall hole. Now, that is illegal, making modifications to this. We'll be clear on that. There's nothing legal about this. But we're all smiling right now. Yeah. (laughs) We're all like. It's it's more white hat, you know. And the way I, well, the
0: way I see it is it's kind of like if somebody came up to your house and your door was unlocked You thought it was locked, but, you you know, everybody's leaving their door unlocked. Mm -hmm. If that person opened the door and turned a little screw to make it so it locks now and shuts it, and you still have a key you can get in,
2: but now nobody else can get in, is that breaking into your house? Uh, Yeah, but you still modified something (laughs) inside of my private property. So there is the... There, that is a defined law, so we have to at least recognize that, even though, like I said, I'm talking through a smile, mm-hmm. <laughs> for those of you can't see, and I'm laughing about the chaotic good being done by someone because I'm happy that there's less attacks going on on the Internet. We do have to acknowledge the fact that it's still – even if you did something nice in my house, even if I left the stove on you came in my house going, hey, I turned your stove off. Oh, thanks? Why are you in my house? Right. But it's still a law being broken. You still trespassed. Even though you did something it does good, does make him like an IT sec vigilante then, <laughs> yeah. essentially? Yeah. I, yeah. So, and, and this is well, when you look at if they ever did catch up with this guy, which I doubt they will. Um, I don't think there's a lot of effort being put into finding him. Uh, Finding the person behind all this. I don't this. think there's a, a finding. I thought he came out and said, I did it. No, no, no. He's just going around doing it. They don't really know who's doing it. He's mm. not making himself, himself herself known, though. This, whoever this person is, is deciding to be anonymous. Because um, they know they're breaking it, but I don't think there's a there's a task force assigned uh, with much priority to finding this person. <laughs> he's not the micro tick attacker
4: we want, but he's the micro tick attacker we need. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. That's exactly yeah. true. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I find it very interesting. Um, but, yeah, I, at least it's being done. I guess I could kind of say that. I don't know. It's, I, I, if there's less attacks on the Internet, that's just we will just say is a good thing. Because <laughs> if there's something we don't need is Phil's phone ringing because, you know, he's on call or your phone mm-hmm. rings you're on call because, you know, yeah. the Internet's on fire again. <laughs> um, next is what happens when you combine Lib SSH plus Cisco? Um Sounds like a dumpster fire. It's a dumpster fire indeed. It's not just Cisco's fault. It's anyone who decided to use libSSH. Microsoft. Um, (laughs) Somehow they misimplemented it, is actually the story I heard. I don't know this to be true, but because GitHub uses libSSH, but GitHub wasn't vulnerable to this. This is actually, let's roll back to Microsoft's implementation of Wi-Fi. When the Wi-Fi attack came through, Microsoft just didn't implement it based on standards. So when they ignored the standards, they actually ignored a security flaw accidentally. (laughs) Yeah, accidentally. My understanding from what comments are, and they have not done a debrief that I'm aware of on this, but the same thing. Microsoft uh, didn't follow LibSSH, and good news is they also didn't follow the security flaw in it. So in brief, the security flaw goes like this. When you have an SSH challenge response, I come with my keys. And then it says, are you authenticated? And then you can just simply tell the server, I am authenticated. And it doesn't bother asking f- further on it. It's a really simple hack. Uh, so you just basically go around saying, yes, I'm authenticated. And it goes, okay, you are authenticated. So it's like the Obi-Wan move. This is not the droid right. you're looking for. <laughs> Got it. No problem. Even though they're right in front of my face here. I could have, yeah. Uh, it's a mess, and it is causing any devices that use this, which lots of different libraries did pull from the Sage. Don't worry for people panicking, hearing SSH and security flaws. If you're running Linux with open SSH, uh, there are no known flaws. Mm-hmm. And there's no just bumping your way through on this. So good news for them, bad news for one of the largest networking companies in existence that run a piece of percentage of the internet. So, um, New Wi-Fi numbering scheme. This is cool if you guys haven't seen it. We're on version 6 now of Wi-Fi, which is way easier to say than all the other versions, like AC, which is Wi-Fi 5, and N, which is 4, G, which is 3, A, which is 2, and B, which is, yes, they don't go in any order at all. (laughs) So as tech people, we're just used to acronyms that make no sense and naming schemas and nomenclatures that are completely gibberish other than they all start with 802.11 uh but by doing this i think they're going to help consumers and this is something that i unfortunately run into all the time of uh people not understanding they're like well hold on i thought it, it, the n was the fast one like no the one ac is the one you want they are like but but ends down the letters i know it's down the letter but now there's two letters so uh you want that one now so being able to just give them numbers is cool hopefully this actually catches on is it When you have to deal with from delegating deck to some of the consumer levels, it can be, you know, if you don't work in this every day, you just go, which Wi-Fi version do I have? And we, you have four now, sir. Would you like to upgrade to five or six? So Mm -hmm.
3: I think one thing that, I don't know if this will be of any value, but anyone that follows Wi-Fi knows that even AC, for example, has changes throughout the years. Like there's different faster speeds that come out. Does that mean we should have like um, Wi-Fi 6.1, 6.2 for those intermediary changes um and the reason why I bring this up is cuz I had a client um call me just this past week and he says that my Wi-Fi is slow and after I ask him a bunch of questions I find out that he has really old hardware. And I say well I think you need to upgrade your hardware and he's well, but it's a- AC, that's the newest standard. Yes, but you bought this back before that was even finalized. This is like a draft AC device from from back in that time period and um you know, there, there's significant changes that are made. So I guess what I'm saying is he would qualify as Wi-Fi 6 in this case. Um, but should we have maybe point releases that
2: as yeah. AC matures and, or AX matures? Actually, AX is 6, so AC would be 5, right? Well, and let's go, let's go a step further confusing <laughs> for people that know this is we have them MIMO, uh, multi-in, multi-out. And with the MIMO system, an air rectangle behind Phil has a support for a bandwidth channel of VT160 versus VT80. And what MIMO does is creates all these channels across if you have both a device that supports it on the receiving end and the transmit end and bonds channels together in the same way you would lag or LACP network connections together uh, to create wider bandwidth. So it's actually the AC standard is still the same speed, but we take all these channels and put them together and combine to make more speed up to like 1700. And then there has to be simultaneous device support on each side so it gets even more complicated because it's still AC, it's just wider bandwidth. So you're combining channels together to get that. So it gets... It really does. But I do agree that it's going to help because trying to explain this
3: stuff to to someone who doesn't follow it is really hard to do. So being able to put a label on it, because at the end of the day, that's all they need. What do I have? What do I need? That's Mm -hmm. the only questions that they're
2: interested in. And then putting a max speed on there. And then it would be easier to line up because figuring out... Uh, what specs my ThinkPad has to figure out what it supported was difficult because IBM doesn't have it documented. They only they wouldn't tell me how many channels. Okay, it supports AC, but it wouldn't tell me how many channels it supports simultaneously. So I can't tell you the max speed until I dug further because it wasn't easy to do. But you're right. If I had a Wi-Fi 6.2 sticker on, I go, oh, cool. It supports this many channels. Right. I think that would be a great way forward if they could do that. It would make it even more clear. Yep. Uh, the last thing I will talk about briefly, and I've done uh, three videos on this where I uh, break things down, and there's a nice summary article on Ars Technical that'll be in the show notes here. Bloomberg uh, claims Supermicro's hardware was compromised. My favorite line like unicorns jumping over rainbows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and basically, the, the claim is it was a supply chain attack where Supermicro embedded devices that can spy on us and access IPMI. And it's all very plausible, but no proof was provided to make me think it actually occurred. And even the one-named security researcher uh, made the claim that he thinks he was taken out of context. He's gone on record on more than one uh, place saying that. So it's kind of a debrief on there for those who are panicking. It is a plausible attack for any hardware vendor. But I actually kind of look at this as a nuclear arms race. Uh, We had the nuclear arms, and because we all know we would destroy each other if we fired any of them, we have the same thing. We could attack their supply chains. They can attack our side chains. We kind of don't because we know it's kind of a mutually assured destruction of both to do some of these things. So I think that's where we are. I know that there are separate targeted attacks where we – government agencies on both ends uh, target something destined for a specific customer but do i think it's being done at the utmost highest level of supply chain the difficulty of that of getting everyone at Supermicro to not talk about someone coming in there and modifying chips just becomes implausible Um, if you've ever worked with or followed um, court cases and i I actually have because my friend works for homeland security the way they do their targets is they they intercept in transit targets and they intercept technology going to them specifically and they change out that technology and load stuff on there. That's actually standard practice. They have FedEx labels and UPS labels. They reseal it and everything. This is there's a process they have for it um that's the best way to do it that way no other people are involved except for the security agencies Um, i'm not saying i agree with this methodology but it is if you are under investigation this is something likely to happen you will get a a a thing understood and debrief this as well years ago that's how they do it not at the supply chain level because it's going everywhere that's the hard part doing it that we backdoor everyone just it's implausible it's not mm-hmm. the practical way to handle it um, it's more practical to say target because we have a target we have in mind we want to spy on this particular company so we're going to target that specific thing and there's a our second breaks down all the the problems with the article and stuff like that but it's something to think about because we are worried about such things which is why we encrypt our hard drives and everything else privacy related but yeah so that's that's my last of the news so my thoughts on that
4: Um, I've got exciting uh, news about the ACME spec, the Automatic Certificate Management Environment. Um, It has passed through the Internet Engineering Steering Group, IESG. So that's a good thing. Um, Good thing for the globe. Um, And then I've got a couple of... What does that group do, the steering group? The steering group, that is a good question. I had to look this up. Um, They administer... Thank you, Google. uh, They (laughs) administer the process... According to the rules and procedures that have been ratified by the Internet Society trustees and um, a lot of other complicated stuff, they help steer uh, specifications, provide feedback um, and discussion um, about all of these potential internet standards. So, so they
0: looked at this as a standard, say, "Yeah, this is good." And yes. give it their approval, stamp of approval.
2: Yes, they did. Cool. So um, I hate Komodo. Overall, as a company, I think they're they're a steaming pile of garbage. Um, Have you checked out their browsers, though?
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> if you haven't heard about Komodo's browsers, oh, they're, well, they're pretty decent, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what do you think of them offering? They're offering free uh, certs, too. And... I think that's great.
4: I think that uh, the more uh, certificate authorities that uh, start to do this, the better the ecosystem will be, specifically because... We don't want a monoculture for CAs. I don't mm-hmm. think that's healthy for anybody.
2: Uh, Komodo's also been targeting. Uh, rumor has it in the tech communities, Let's Encrypt certs and calling people to sell them upgraded, telling them their Let's Encrypt certs are going to expire soon and aren't very secure. So they try to uh, have been yep. pressuring companies. Oh, I heard about that? Yeah. That's funny. Yes, that that's that's a cute one. Yeah. That's a cute it's,
3: one. It's, it's it's bad. I have to admit it's clever, but very very bad.
2: Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I just side note on them. I just think they're an awful company, and for a litany of reasons.
3: I've heard of that as that that same thing as well, because my understanding of Let's Encrypt is that they renew more frequently. So they do. it's basically they oh your uh, certificate expires in a couple of months, so you, we we can sell mm-hmm. you one. It, it fixes for you right now. It's uh, a feature. It's a feature. It expires right. every ninety yeah. days. <laughs> but the, the person doesn't realize that or. They talk to a CEO who doesn't understand the underlying technology they're using. Oh, yeah, here's my credit card. Let's get this taken care of. Yes, right.
0: And then they get the money. Yeah, at my work, we have uh, network monitoring nodes all over the place. And it monitors, uh, or when it sees a certificate fly by, it'll check the date on it. And if it's less than 45 days, no, no, less than 190 days or something like that. (laughs) It says, hey, you know, this is flagged. It's going to be expiring soon. I'm like, what if we're using a Let's Encrypt or something else? You know, uh, I'm sorry about days? your monitoring, wow. Tony. You're right.
4: <laughs> wow. Uh, m- moving on, um, <laughs> uh, in the world of encryption, um, the IETF or the Internet Engineering Task Force has a draft proposal to remove TLS 1.0 and TLS 1.1. Um, so,
2: that's a good thing. What, yeah. What I,
4: yeah, what I learned was that TLS 1.0 will be 20 years old coming up in january of 2019
3: i never knew that
4: neither did i Mm -hmm. um so their recommendation is to move to tls 1.2 and to help with this migration firefox chrome edge and safari are all removing support for tls 1.0 and 1.1 and making tls 1.2 the default so if you are if you are a web server operator um Update your web servers, and then something else that I like to use is uh, cipher list to get uh, to verify that you're using like a, a strong cipher suite for your web server, mm-hmm. and that's HTTPS um, cipher l i hmm. Nice, and it'll it'll give you an Apache config, an Nginx config, and several other. Um, Standard web servers,
0: right? So, uh, you know, for our our normal users out there, uh, TLS is the same thing as SSL, or it's
2: somewhat interchangeable. It's different, but you can generally interchange it. Yeah, because it's whenever you see HTTPS, it means you are on a secure layer. Exactly. Um, And so, you think, well, they're
0: forcing people to to upgrade. You know, what if they have you know some server that's somewhat old and they don't want to upgrade? Well, the two, the one point two that pretty much ninety nine percent of the world uses right now. Has, was released ten years ago,
2: and so it was. But the problem people have is IoT devices that have baked in crap and are running on really old ones. So it's going to be interesting because it's going to break a lot of those. Which, well, you don't really break them. They're going to keep doing whatever it is they do. You just won't be able to admin them more.
0: <laughs> I'd be really interested to hmm. see what uh, you know what uh, IoT was around ten years ago that that would be using something webcams.
2: It's uh, I would say it's it's uh, mostly cameras, but here's the problem. These IoT companies are basing it sometimes on like really like eight-year-old kernels for reasons that are completely mm-hmm. mysterious to people. When you start breaking apart some of these IoT devices, you're like, why did you guys choose some really – and it's just because there's not a lot of dev team work put into it. It's fast to market. Grab this uh, thing, and away we go. They, yeah. So is there going to be, like, a uh, new business spinning up that's, uh, that does reverse proxying? Uh, there is. Cisco but, uh, actually offers reverse proxying of IoT devices as uh, threat I management. I was going to
3: say, if there isn't, I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, Cisco's been uh, doing some of that, and it's kind of a pain. And It's funny, I'm looking over because I see a TP-Link switch that I reviewed recently sitting here. That's a brand-new switch that has no HTTPS support at all. What? Um, Wait, really? Yeah, all the, it's a it's a managed switch and supports VLANs and da, da 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 da, um, and it completely lacks any type of HTTPS. It just does port eighty only. Did you
3: Do any digging as far as why they didn't implement I, I, I bet that or because it's thirty five
2: dollars?
0: They'd have to <laughs> oh. put in a stronger CPU yeah. to do encryption and.
3: I just want to know what the justification is. Oh, this is an internal device you shouldn't make available. I don't know I'm guessing yeah, maybe something it has like a that.
2: I, I, I suggest it as a switch for people who want to learn VLANs uh, never to deploy ATP link in production because uh, one of the other problems is the port 80 <coughs> is bound to all of the ports on the back plane. So they actually have a separate virtual network interface inside besides the external-facing ports. So even though they, you can VLAN trunk a port and it will respect those rules, it's also, can you can hop out of the VLAN and go right to management if you know the management IP, and you can force that mm-hmm. port on there. You'll lose access to the other ports because it does, like I said, it properly trunks all the VLANs and keeps them secure. They did that right, but the way they implemented it on the back oh. plane is flawed. Yeah, yeah, it's, um,
0: it's the, the default VLAN that yes. it, they're able to, yeah. It's actually, it's... Uh, yeah, there's a whole. It's, yeah, that's <laughs> bad. It's bad. You're not supposed to be able to do that. You're not supposed to be able to do that. Well, these things all, um, uh, it's, I, called, it's called VLAN hopping. Yes. Yeah, and it's that's a really bad thing to do.
2: You could, um, old Cisco's that are unpatched, you could actually, there's a there's actually a, a library for Linux that lets you VLAN hop on Cisco's uh, exploits that are not even getting updated anymore. Well, of course, who updates anything? But mm-hmm. it allows you to VLAN hop. I'm about to do some videos on that. There's a GitHub repository for it. Uh, if you type in VLAN hopping, it usually comes right up. It's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
2: So I want to do some videos on that sometime. It's kind of fun to talk about that layer of security. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now that uh,
4: TLS 1.0 and 1.1 are slated for um, being removed, uh, what's going to come next? And that's TLS 1.3. Um, that has become a proposed standard. Uh, that's RFC 8446. Um, so what is TLS 1.3? Well, it's like TLS 1.2, uh, but .1 better. A- anyways, <laughs> um, so it's it's a major speed improvement to the transport layer security TLS protocol. Um, two round trips uh, were two network round trips were needed in TLS 1.2, and with 1.3, only one round trip is needed. So you cut your latency in half, mm-hmm. and then from client to server that should be a completely encrypted pipe so instead of a uh, attacker watching what website you're going to and seeing the dns name um, you now just have an encrypted pipe
2: and they go a step further so you have encryption based on the certificate of the site there's your standard search so if in any time that certificate were compromised and someone had a complete capture of the traffic you would then be able to decrypt the traffic that's actually how things like Tony's monitoring systems at work work. Well, let's go a step further with TLS 1.3, and Cisco made it known that they are really upset with this because they didn't want it in the standard. TLS 1.3 supports a second ephemeral key. So there's a second Diffie Diffie-Hellman exchange um, that's only for that session. So despite capturing... The data and having it, you only unravel another encrypted stream. And they're trying to urge companies not to do that, but they're like, no, this is exactly what we need to do from a security standpoint, but from a monitoring and uh, watching traffic standpoint, it breaks that immediately. So I don't know how that's going to be handled as companies move to it. Some banks have already moved to TLS
4: 1.3. And wow. taking this a step further, um, we are going to see encrypted SNI, which is yes. it's a web server thing. Um, it's going to be implemented using either DNS over TLS or DNS over HTTPS. And then your resolver and the authoritative name server you're su- talking to has to speak DNSSEC. So just like, anything, just like any other garbage that we don't know what to do with, we'll throw this all into the DNS.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah.
4: Oh, by the way, PFSense supports <laughs> it. So. And nice. if you want to <laughs> check if the browser you're running supports Encrypted SNI, you can go to EncryptedSNI.com. It provides a nice little check. Um, it's it's new and it's coming, but it's
2: exciting. Yes, no, I'm excited to see that. Oh, Cloudflare got a really big push to it. it yes, is, they do. And Cloudflare being the largest, to my knowledge, the largest CDN out there, when Cloudflare goes at it, the other ones will follow suit. Mine did not pass that check. Encrypted SNI. Interesting. Oh. We know your we know your browsing history now.
4: It's coming in a new Firefox version. I believe it just went out into a nightly. Oh, that explains so this, it. So this will, this will come, and that's yeah. exciting.
2: It's, it's a lot of engineering. I was reading the detail of what they had to do to come up with it, and it was just, wow. Hmm. Like you said, we, we stuck it in DNS. In the because, <laughs> and when you read how complicated it is, you're just like, I, I would have done that too. <laughs> 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 or we could just re-engineer how the Internet works. Because that would work, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, move everything to IPv6, and yeah.
4: I think we passed a twenty-five percent saturation of of I, IPv6. So that's, really, that's exciting. That is. It only took mm-hmm. what, like, ten plus years? Yes. Yeah. I'm
3: actually surprised it's gotten that high. Wow! <laughs> I mean, I thought I thought it was going to be like we passed five percent, like
2: <laughs> outside the U.S. By the way, because the U.S. is kind of like what what IP problem we have all the IPs so <laughs> yeah. we got we got blocks of unused space. It's it's the rest of the world that's going. Hey guys, at, <laughs> at our local lug uh, mug, they
0: uh, every year and maybe not this year. I didn't, they, he didn't do it this January, year. In the, January, there's always a guy that comes in and talks about IPv6, and it's kind of the joke is this is the year of IPv6.
2: You know, like yes. the year of the Linux desktop. He uh, works – well, I don't know if he still does, but for a while there, he was head of some type of engineering level at AT&T, tasked with deploying it. But it's been kind of the joke, the position that doesn't actually do the thing it's supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. It's a great talk, though, every year.
0: Um, that's all I have for the news. How about you, Tony? I actually – I. I mean, I just was talking a little bit about OLF, so I've been sticking in as we go along. Uh, and that's all I had for this time. Okay. But, Jay, do you have some stuff?
3: I have some stuff. So I gave away one of them already, which is the fix that's now required if you're running kernel 418. And it's not specific to Ubuntu 18.10. I just wanted to make sure I made that clarification. It's a kernel 418 thing. So I'll, I'll see that that gets added in the show notes for anyone that um, may need to implement that fix. But um, one thing that came up, that I wanted to talk about too is uh, Shutter being removed from 1810's repositories as well as Debian unstable. stable. How Out. dare
4: they? is yeah. fantastic. Um, and you leave it alone.
3: I, I agree. I, I, <laughs> I, it's one of those things, even my, in my Ansible config, it's one of those things it installs on every single workstation because it's so useful. And the reason is because libnome2 perl and uh, libnome2 vfs perl. Those packages were uh, removed uh, because they um, don't have—they're obsolete. They don't have new versions, and these are dependencies of Shutter. So Shutter's dependencies are being removed. So now you can't install Shutter because those dependencies are missing. And they apparently hired a new developer in 2017, uh, but so far this situation hasn't been rectified as of uh, recording date. So we don't know if they're going to have this fixed at some point. And if they do, I would assume it would make its way back into a Debian unstable, which would then also mean Ubuntu would get it back. In the meantime, um, before the situation is rectified, the article that I found uh, mentions, I haven't used these personally, but there's something called KSNP and another utility called FlamShot, which they're claiming might be potential things to check out if you need something right now. There's a PPA for Ubuntu apparently. I haven't used it myself, but if um, if that's something that you want and you're using 1810, you might need to install that PPA if you want to continue using Shutter. Yeah, that and was then, the
0: first thing I thought of, either PPA or or Snaps or something would be. And, the,
3: and they mentioned as well that they're hoping that one that this happens where someone makes a um, flat pack of it or, or similar to it to to keep it going. And uh, maybe somebody will heed the call and get that done and, and make that available. So it's, it's kind of still developing. We don't really know exactly how it's going to play out, but hopefully they, they get those uh, dependencies resolved and uh, update the, the version and make it
2: yeah. compatible. I send so many shutter images. Like I'm using it to clip and send things to people all the time. Like this is the button you need to click, click here, use yeah. here. That's, it's just a great screenshot tool.
3: It is, and, and obviously, if you have 1804, if you're the type of person where you upgrade 1804, or you upgrade LTS to LTS, you have a lot more time to to worry about this or to trying to find something. Yeah. It's in 1804 today, so if you, it's not like they're going to take it away from you. But if you're going to a newer version of Ubuntu before the next LTS or before they fix it, you're well, going to probably not find that it's not available. With Pop
2: OS, you have to enable, uh, you have to grab a different library. Uh, to make it make the edit part of Shutter work in Pop OS in the eighteen oh four, so the edit doesn't work until you add uh, the libraries it needs for that. So that's interesting.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I thought I'd mention that because I know a lot of for a lot of people like me that do uh, screenshots of distros. Right. You, like, oh yeah. I, I, I'm always even though I don't distro hop as much these days. I still always, I have this laptop, it's, it's only purpose in life is just for me to test distributions and I'll use Shutter. I'll go on there and I'll just snap pictures of different yep. things and it's a great tool for that. Or even just um, having a client that needs a walkthrough of how, how do they use a product or a software or something, I can take screenshots and send them step by step, this is what you need to do, and... That's probably my biggest use case, actually. So uh, for me, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into this and see what I need to use going forward. But I'm more of an LTS person, so it doesn't really impact me as much as it might impact others. But I just wanted to mention that because it's a really huge application in for the sure. community. And um, there's a couple of GNOME pieces of GNOME news I wanted to mention. It, it's um, my favorite desktop. And I feel like a lot of times when it when, some, when GNOME announces they're going to change something, there's a lot of contention. And, and it makes sense because if a feature that you're using goes away, that's frustrating regardless of who you are because you, you, you get used to something being there and all of a sudden it's not there anymore. So their latest article I saw was Farewell Application Menus, which I read the headline and it's like, wait a minute, they're going to remove application menus. This is not going to go over well. People are going to be pretty upset about this. But they, they worded it wrong because that's not what they're doing. They're not removing it. So if you've used GNOME, you know in the top left corner you have a drop down with the application name and your file menu, if it's GTK3, will typically be there. If it's a GTK2 app, an older app, your file menu is still in the application window just like it used to be in the good old days. But what they're actually doing is they're removing the application menu from the top left of the screen, but they're not removing it like the article says. They're moving it to the application window. So you're not losing anything here. They're literally taking it... From the top left in the panel and putting it in the application window itself, which I think would actually make a lot of people happy, especially the people that are upset that GNOME keeps changing classic desktop paradigms and going their own direction. If you think about it, moving the menu to the application window... That's where the menu was in the first place before they moved it up there. This, so This will start a religious war. It, it, it will. Um, <laughs> and, and it will, but I just I just think that um, it's worth talking about so people understand exactly what's happening because you read the article, you think Gnome is removing something, like they keep doing. In this case, they're just doing some reorg. No, not
2: no really I remember the War deal. of 15 on that. I mean, it was just... When they started moving it when they switched over to Unity. Like, people were losing their collective minds. Yeah, I agree that that is a a problem.
3: But, you know, unfortunately, the other article is going to be a lot more controversial. And I'm going to take also a controversial standpoint that I agree with the article. But what it is about is the consideration of dropping GNOME theme support, like being able to change your themes. And um, this is something I feel is going to make a, a lot of people unhappy because one of the number the guy one next to you looks really unhappy already. My eyes <laughs> yeah. widened. I'm so, already mad. And I'm going to explain why I support this because I am also a fan of customizing desktop. In fact, I think one of the biggest features that most people enjoy of Linux is the customizability. So telling people you have less customizability, that's a potential problem. I want to prefix this to say... That they're not saying we are removing theme support. It's a discussion. I think it's likely they'll go that direction, but it's a discussion, they may not do that. Right now nothing has been finalized. But they're specifically talking about GTK3 themes, not GTK two. And the problem with GTK three is that there is no such thing as theming. That that does that doesn't exist. It's a hack. CSS, style sheets, the way they overlay things, it's just a UI hack. There is no API in GTK 3 to theme the desktop. And this is why, I don't know if if you guys have experienced this, but if you go on GnomeLook.org or whatever, and you download a theme, you might say, hey, this is a great theme, I like this, but then some applications just don't work well at all. For example, dark text on dark backgrounds or light text on light backgrounds. Because since GTK3 themes are a hack, there's just really no easy way to make all applications work very well. You can get the majority of them to work well, But if you actually look at a GNOME theme, if you just open up the folder and look inside there, what you usually find for the better themes that work better is a list of overrides for different applications because the theming is so broken that they have to create these manual overrides. So they're proposing to disable support for GTK3 themes, but again, no final decision has been made. And I agree with it only because... I feel like GNOME is not really, these days, the desktop environment for people that want a lot of customizability. I mean, there's a lot, but KDE has more, XFC has more customization, MATE has more customization than GNOME Shell has nowadays. And if it's effectively broken and has problems, either their only choices are fix it or remove it. And I don't really see they're going to make that much change in GNOME, so maybe... Removing that is the only way to go. But then again, um, it's a controversial opinion and article. I was totally
4: banking on GNOME GTK3 customization as a security feature. No one wants um. to read cyan text on a yellow background. <laughs> right. And I mean, if you think about
3: the, the, one of the biggest problems with, with GNOME in, in, in its look and feel, is let's be honest, it does, the default GNOME, vanilla GNOME, doesn't have the most attractive look and feel of all the desktop environments available to us. It's pretty plain. It's not terrible. It's not great. So my standpoint is, okay, if you want to remove GTK3 themes, maybe make the default theme that you do have look really good. Just saying. But that's another discussion. I hear you on that. Um, And if you think about another problem here is people's opinion of what GNOME is is going to be heavily influenced by Ubuntu, who uses it as a default desktop. They do theme GTK3. They do implement this hack to create a theme. So if that goes away and then GNOME looks more plain and vanilla in a future version of Ubuntu... We'll go back to Unity. (laughs) Go back to (laughs) Unity. (laughs) So I just wanted to bring that up. It's, um, It's developing, so maybe I'll talk about it again if there's been any more discussion. I don't think I've heard anything about whether or not this is going to be changed in the next version of GNOME, but it's just something to um, keep our eyes on and see exactly what they decide. And uh, other than that, I have nothing else of importance. So I think Very you guys cool. covered the uh, majority with the Facebook. Uh, that was, a, that was a definitely a big one, with the Facebook hack, and that was great,
0: too. So that's all I have. Sweet. That's a lot. We covered a lot today. Yeah. And ended up being uh, kind of a long show. Uh, So I guess we're coming to the end, uh, but we have a song this time. Oh, we do. What do we have? It's going to be an OpenBSD song. So as I said when we were talking about the distros, uh, 6.4 was released, but there's no 6.4 song, at least not yet. Uh, And I don't know if there's going to, because the last one was 6.1. Anyway, so I thought maybe we'll go with one of the older ones. Like uh, They released four of them, or five, with 6.0. And I started looking, I'm like, I wonder if we've played these before. And uh, in Episode 271, we played Comfortably Dumb, <laughs> which was the 6.0. In 253, we played The Winner of 95. And in 208, we played uh, Another Smash on the Stack. So uh, and then I went down, and I chose... The song is Wish You Were Secure. And what's actually interesting about this one is uh, that OpenBSD releases a CD for their music. And uh, this one was not on the CD. So, uh, hmm. so here it is.
1: you think you can sell
3: our heaven to hell, ABI's cast in stone, would you sell the green fields to buy your own cage, be stable for a wage, so
4: you think you can sell.
3: you decide to trade your leaders for stock. Complex code in the tree for simple code that was free. Cold cash flow.
0: so that was uh, I, I saw Phil like wave in his, his uh, insulin pump pager insulin pump. yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it looks like a pager you know? <laughs> kind of like you know the, the lighter in the the wave. Uh, all right uh, so we've come to the end of the show. Uh, this you have been listening to the Sunday morning Linux review. This was episode 291. Over 30 million users. Yeah, this is Tony Bemis Jay Lacroix, Phil Parada, and Tom Lawrence. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Sunday Morning Linux
4: Review. If you would like more information about this or other shows, go to
3: smlr.us. Feel free to send comments, to show at smlr.us, or give us a call at 734-258-7009. I'm John Miller. If
4: you don't like it...
0: Bite my eight-bit metal ass. That's bite where
1: the <laughs>